0: Welcome to the show. This is the Ontario AgCast. Our guest today is a dairy farmer and lawyer, or lawyer and dairy farmer, depending how you want to look at it. Her name is Lorraine Lewandrowski, but if you're on social media, you would probably know her better as New York farmer. Lorraine, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: So Lorraine, you are in what we would consider upstate New York.
1: Yeah as upstate as it can get so it's if i take the train to get into new york city it takes me about five hours to get to the city so yeah so this is rural
0: and do you go to new york city
1: well i went to new york city a few weeks ago i haven't been in a couple of years but i went two weeks ago to meet a film producer to talk about uh, the image of farmers in film and i also went to see how dairy products were sold and then i guess prior to that the last time i went was. 2013 when a group of us dairy farmers decided we would go and and actually speak with food movement people in New York City because we saw a lot of misconceptions out there about what farming was about, so we all drove to New York City to talk to a large group of people.
0: All right, I I have this picture in my head, but tell me about a trip to New York City.
1: With a bunch of dairy farmers? Yeah. (laughs) Well, a a couple had never been in the city, my friend. Um, Debbie Windecker, who's a, a prominent Holstein breeder, um, had uh, been in the city before, but her husband had never been there. So um, we had we took her, him and we took his daughter, their daughter, who was like a junior, we call them a dairy ambassador that we have here. She'd never seen the city either. And then we took an agronomist with us to talk about pesticides and herbicides and GMOs and, and crops and things like that. And um, his wife, who is a ag communicator, so we had a great you know we had a really great time you know so they did some touring around the city but you know it was the first they posed for a picture in times square they uh, you know after we got done speaking to the people in the in the city it was kind of traumatic some of them were yelling at us about pesticides um you know we went out afterwards to a german bar and drank beer out of glass boots
0: well <laughs> you ended the day on a high then i guess
1: yeah we did the the agronomist was a little bit depressed because he'd been chewed out by know quite a few people saying that he was encouraging that he was poisoning the land and stuff like that but you know we did our best and we took samples of uh, cow haylage with us to show to the people and silage we we had uh, cheeses that our neighbors had made that we distributed you know we you know we had a really good time we met a lot of nice people but a few other people were kind of harsh but you know that was our our first time to, to actually speaking with people in this um
0: so, Lorraine, do you do you ever stop and think about the irony of it that people living in New York City, breathing in the the fumes from the cars and the brake dust and all of the garbage and refuse that's around, telling a bunch of farmers that they are poisoning the land?
1: I know it's kind of, it was kind of crazy, but you know that's what some people you know do think. Um, you know the agronomist was trying to talk about um, you know pesticide application. You know it's. how it's monitored I have to be certified uh, you know all this and you know And I tried to talk about our farm you know we've been really into uh, our dairy farm is mostly a large uh, grazing farm we've been really into wildlife since the 80s like in 1989 we hired hired wildlife biologists to inventory the wildlife on our farm but they, they just you know seem kind of like distant like they you know they couldn't grasp even what a wildlife biologist might be or you know how you would inventory wildlife it's kind of more like um you know nature is like like Bambi movies or something like that so you know so I felt like we did explain stuff but um yeah I mean they're just the images out there are kind of um, really far removed from the daily life of a farmer and what a lot of us you know really fight to keep the farms you know like in my area some of us could sell out for development you know I know developers would probably love to get their hands on some of the farms that you know that we went down to speak and make them into large lot subdivisions, but the farmers, you know, even though we don't make a lot of money, we, you know, hope to pass the land on to the next generation. So there's not a lot of concept of land, which down there they're talking in terms of square footage.
0: And I guess if you grew up in the city and had never been outside of the city limits, you wouldn't really have a concept of that. And I think we forget that sometimes that Yeah, people so should quite understand. It's
1: like very informative for farmers to get into the city because
0: you don't,
1: you know, you don't know. So I said, okay, well, Central Park is about 800 acres. So I said, okay, well, my farm, you know, like you half of my neighbor's farm equals 800 acres. So it's about the size of Central Park. So they, or, you know, try to convey that there's, uh, we have about seven and a half million acres of farmland in New York, you know, probably maybe 20 times the size of New York City is just devoted to farms alone. So that was like astounding to them. But, you know, it's a good to see, you know, the difference in thinking. So I think I think more farmers should do that.
0: So does, you're part of New York State. Do you consider yourself part of rural America?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, there's, for uh, for us, I, I would say most of the counties, we have like 62 counties in the state, you know, 60-somewhat counties in the state. When you get north of, uh, let's say, Poughkeepsie, you know, when you're going up the throughway it starts to turn very rural uh, pretty fast. You know, you could drive outside of New York City for an hour and a half and you'll be in some fairly, you know, quite, quite rural areas where the municipalities are small, there's not a lot of services. When you get north of New York City in plenty of areas, you can't really even get Internet very well. You know, as I was telling you earlier, this, we have real, a lot of trouble out in my part of the state even getting, you know, decent broadband service. So, you know, people tell me that they're streaming this or that movie on the Internet. I'm like, geez, you know, kind of envious because I really couldn't do that.
0: We, we no have we have my that problem here too, off. Lorraine. We, we have some parts of Ontario where we uh, lament some of the same challenges.
1: Yeah, you know, even cell phone service. I can drive ten miles north of my farm, and cell phone will go blank, absolute zero. So you know, I know of an older woman farmer who lives um, out on a, a farm in the Adirondacks, the Adirondack Mountains. So she has zero cell phone service. So you know, if she were to get hurt or whatever, she wouldn't be able to contact anyone. And I was speaking with someone this morning. They were telling me about an accident that occurred out on one of the rural highways. And, you know, the people kept trying to notify emergency services, but, you know, you couldn't get cell phone service to connect, and the person died. So in the city, everything is, like, super high-speed Internet, and, you know, it would be unheard of that you couldn't get cell phone service. But, um, you know, trying to explain that has been an uphill battle. Maybe, you know, it's like I saw an article yesterday It said something like 39 percent of, Country doesn't get uh, the United States not have broadband, so it's been something that's been a bone of contention here for several years now, but just nothing ever seems to happen. So.
0: So, do you I get those people, people, Lorraine, in your in your community that move, buy a summer home, or come out from the city and move in, and then complain because things smell like manure in the spring and fall?
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, in our town, we had a you know a recent episode where uh people who had moved into the area there didn't we have a lot of amish farmers they demanded a public hearing um to make the amish the horses wear diapers
0: you're you're joking
1: you're <laughs> so, joking no i'm not i'm not kidding this is a true story the um so then they also asked that the fence lines on the farms be moved back five feet from the from the actual boundary um because they said kids could get hung up on a barbed wire fence so you know we had to actually ask the um New York State Department of Agriculture, to send a representative to the hearing, to talk about uh, farmland protection and the uh, you know the right to, if you're in an agricultural district for the farmer to do what they call um, you know good basic farm management practices. So we did persuade them not to make the Amish have diapers on their horses. Um, and you know the Amish were really you know they were really tired to do that. Um, and the fence line thing, you know, the guy from Ag and Markets explained that you know, if your fences move back five feet from the boundary, that how would you mold that piece of land, you know, maintain it. You know, then I had the lawyer explain that would create title problems because, you know, when you went to sell your property, the title insurance companies would want to know why the fences are not actually on the boundaries. So, you know, but a a lady stood up at the hearing and said, you mean to tell me that if my child were to go out to that fence and get hung up on it or cut by that barbed wire fence, there is nothing I could do about it. We're like, lady, you know, tell your kid not to go trying to climb through barbed wire fences, but it was...
0: <laughs> you sound like my kind of lawyer, Lorraine. That's the answer I <laughs> yeah, would Yeah, so that's what,
1: you know, I actually said that at the hearing, and so she was, like, looking at me, you know, she was kind of angry about it, but... So, we it's said, well, why don't you build a whiteboard fence, you know, on your side, five feet in, and then that would protect your child from the bouncer. Yeah, so that's, that's a rural issue where you get, you know, people moving in. So, there is a disclosure form, though. In New York, that if you move into a, an agricultural district, you have to sign a form acknowledging that you've moved in, you've been informed that this is an, ag- is an agricultural district. So, I mean, this is not to say that farmers could do whatever they want. I mean, you know, if you if you're doing things that are really a, a true nuisance to somebody, you know, you shouldn't really be doing that in the first place. But, but you know, your standard agricultural practices. If somebody spreads manure or whatever, then, you know, that's part of country life.
0: Right, and if you happen to spread manure on a Sunday that they put their laundry out, well, that didn't have anything to do with the fact that they stood up and spoke against you at a meeting.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you try to be considerate if you can, but there are times where you can't avoid it. You know, if one of my neighbors has a manure storage system where they just spread it the spring, and it really smells bad, so it smells bad for, like, two days, okay? So everybody can smell it, but it is better to spread, you know, when he's got everything. is like a, a composted system know they take it all out at once in the spring and do this massive spreading so all right so now people aren't happy about it but then we have a very fancy golf course down the road from our farm and they're very unhappy about it so they changed the scheduling a little bit to even uh, you know, trying to do it before the golfers start to come out so you know so that worked out it's you know it's okay but you know you, you just have to kind of work with your community
0: well you just made me think of something lorraine a story that was in the news a little bit about the carriage horses in new york city did you follow that at all
1: yeah, that was a big battle that um, the the group the New York City, New York class, uh, wanted to ban carriage horses, and they said it was enslavement of the horses, that horses should not be in the city. Um, they agreed, they got the mayor of New York City, Mayor de Blasio, to back them and say that as one of his first acts of office, he was going to demand that all carriage horses be removed. So, that was ultimately, you know, he's ultimately backed off of that, but people from all over the country protested I... I even called the mayor's office myself just to say that um, you know it was ludicrous and sending a quite a bad message to those of us out here in rural New York. You know, most of my neighbors, I have lots of Amish neighbors who are farming with workhorses. So are they next? Are they are they enslaving the horses? So um, you know, I've actually been in the signed letters stating that they'd examined the horses and the horses were well cared for. So, you no, I, I would, know, I would go with a veterinarian's opinion any day over somebody that um, has no, no um, education or, you know, degree in animal care.
0: Really? You mean people from the city shouldn't tell farmers how to look after their animals?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of feel that, especially if you've never set foot on a farm. I mean, you know, when we were in the city speaking, our farmer group, some of them started telling us that we should be organic so I said okay well you know organic is good but what do I do if a cow gets sick should I then say she can't have any antibiotics and they were like well that that was you know I said have you ever sat with a dying animal trying to save a calf with pneumonia would you give it antibiotics or would you just let it die so you know so they had to consider that you know it was the view of a farmer so you know in the United States if you have under our organic rules if you treat an animal even once they have to be kicked off the farm. So that means if I treated my niece's show heifer, you know, if she autumn got sick, um, then we would have to throw her, you know, sell her. So, so you have explained that. But, you know, after we explained it, people got the idea. But, you know, had they not spoken to us, they would never, you know, they would just wouldn't know that.
0: Wait, you, your daughter's show heifer... Do you say daughters or nieces show heifer?
1: My niece. Yeah, my niece has shown 4-H for many years. She has a beautiful heifer named Autumn. So if we were organic, we would build the treat Autumn. Autumn would have to, you know, if we treated her once, we'd have to uh, get rid of her.
0: Is Autumn a jersey?
1: Yeah, that would be, uh, you know, uh, Autumn is, no, Autumn is a red and white Holstein. Oh. So, uh, but yeah, so, you know, when you explain that to people, you know, would you, like your pet, you know, people come, my sister is a veterinarian, people come to the office and they want state-of-the-art antibiotics for their pet, but, you know, you then tell me that I can't treat my cow with, you know, with a good, with a, you know, with a proper antibiotic.
0: Well, that's the food system, though, Lorraine. Yeah, that
1: is the food system. Yeah, so.
0: We don't want antibiotics in our food.
1: Well, fortunately, when we were, when the group of us farmers spoke in the city, um, you know, we were trying to explain about how milk is tasked you know, the milk truck drivers are all licensed, they are all licensed to take samples, so. And the milk truck driver before he even pumps the milk out takes a sample from the tank and then they, they take another sample when they get to the wherever they're getting. So we tried to explain to the public that you know how highly tested and regulated milk is and we were very fortunate when we were speaking that a representative of Tobani for the, the Greek yogurt company was sitting in the audience and she stood up and she said, Hey wait a minute people, you know, we would never put milk with antibiotics into one of our milk silos. That would ruin the, um, the you know the cultures that we need to make thousands and thousands of containers of yogurt. So, you know, people started to get it and you explained it to them. But, you know, this is why I really urge farmers to, to get right into the city. I mean, it doesn't, we like to sit around at the, you know, at our county fair and
0: have little displays
1: and all that, but I think it's more worthwhile to be in the city.
0: Right, we can, we can preach to the choir all day long, but eventually that message has to start getting out. And if people talk to a farmer face-to-face, they're less likely to have a bad image of a farmer.
1: yeah, and you know another thing i I've, I've said is um, and I did it once myself was speak via Skype to some of these groups. There was a, an attorney organization having a meeting in New York City and they the flyer that they put out, one of my friends from the city, see I see now that I have friends, lots of friends in the city they also spy for me. So they like one of my spies sent me this flyer and said, look what they're doing and they had a flyer of a a poor little farm like from the south maybe with a little a beat up tin barn and some cows standing in the mud. And, and it said, livestock are ruining the planet, just trashing, you know, but I called them up and it was the New York City Bar Association, I said, you know, you've got the elitist photo, you're mocking some little farm that maybe that is the best that they can do, is their their tin barn here, and maybe this is their life, and they're proud of what they have, and you, New York City elitist um, attorney, are are mocking that, so you don't even give these people a chance to speak Uh, with that due process, so they actually let me speak via Skype, so I beat into their meeting. <laughs> so, you know, so it's a lot of fun. So, so, I think, you know, we could use technology sometimes to, to speak to some of these groups.
0: Lorraine, I think, I think you sound like the kind of person that if I was ever going to go to New York, I would want to go with. You sound like you could get fired up.
1: <laughs> I, do, I do get fired up about this stuff. I did, um, you know, because we did, we actually offered to speak at some meetings, like some of these uh, urban food groups meetings that they said they don't want. You know, they wouldn't let us speak so that made us get more fired up so that we you know we wanted to speak even more but i did speak to a really nice group uh, a couple of weeks ago in uh, connecticut it's um, called northeast sustainable agriculture working group and it's um a group of like 500 organizations over 12 states in the northeast of the u.s and they have never had a dairy farmer speak so for the past couple of years i have you know said to them Know, make nasty comments on Twitter and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so then I, I did meet somebody very nice from this organization and they invited me to speak. So, um, you know, it really worked out well. And what we did was we showed a movie um, called Forgotten Farms about the dairy farms. that um, So people who had lived in western Massachusetts and then went to work in New York City, they came back 20 years later and all the farms were gone and they wondered what was going on. So they made a movie about dairy farms. Yep. So we showed that film and um, it was super well received. Talents of uh, these film producers who are really able to show, you know, an image. Um, I'll send you the trailer for it later. But yeah, I've, um, so, I've, I've seen
0: it, Lorraine. It's actually it's been floating around a little bit, just recently.
1: Oh, good, good. Yeah. So, you know, so I, to me, it was an example of how you get these creative types. You know, you get filmmakers or artists or, or, or writers, and sometimes they're even, you know, better able to tell your story than the farmer because they, you know, they're so talented at putting a film together.
0: Well, so, if we can get something that'll combat cowspiracy. Yeah,
1: cowspiracy is a farce. They, you know, I know Harvard had a, a conference on food and they showed cowspiracy. So, you know, I bombarded them with nasty tweets, um, you know, saying how ignorant they are. <laughs> so, don't, they never replied, but, you know, I figured, you know, that's what I like to use Twitter for sometimes. So, um, you know, it's a good way to tweet directly to people and, you know, sometimes re- really nice people reply. You know, other times they might ignore you or block you, but whatever.
0: I just started a nasty rumor online that Leonardo DiCaprio kills baby kittens. Virus so oh. <laughs> coming.
1: That's called fake news. Are you with the Russians?
0: Oh, I'm just using the tools that I have. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the conspiracy thing, you know, but it's hard. It's hard to get through to you know these people. You know, like they tweet on the link to conspiracy and say all this stuff, and I so then I send them pictures of my farm, and they don't know what to say. So, you know, so Twitter's, Twitter's really useful for
0: You yeah, And you have quite a following on Twitter.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, they've developed it slowly. But, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the farmers tend to like be really polite and all that stuff, and the, the, the ag advocacy groups tell you to be polite. But I, I'm not always polite. And sometimes I think it generates more controversy, and I get more followers, you know, like Mr. Trump. So. <laughs> well,
0: that, and that's something that... As an, uh, uh, an industry, we talk about how do we communicate with consumers, and I question that too sometimes. What do we do when consumers are so far off track that they need a bit of a kick in the ass?
1: Yeah, no, I do really, because like you know, sometimes you know somebody will tweet out some total nonsense, and you know, so I'll just tweet back to them total nonsense. Or if I'm, in a, I have told a couple people to f off as well. You know, I don't, I don't do that very often because I, I, you know, I'm not into it. But um, but there have been some people who are so outrageous that. You know, and then they'll, they'll be like, "What do you mean?" You know. Uh, so some of them really do get back to me, and, and um, you know, speak with me, and then tell me later that they were they were sorry that they actually thought that way, that they never had a chance to speak to a farmer. I had no idea. You know, it's like like the other day, there's a, a famous New York Times reporter, Charles Blow, and I've read his columns for years and all this stuff. He tweeted out that uh, he had watched a documentary on dairy farming, and it was horrifying. So I tweeted to him that, you know, you are a New York Times reporter and you cannot tell the difference between propaganda documentaries and, um, you know, factual investigations. So he never answered me, but um, like tw- uh, 20 other people clicked like on that. So, you know, I hope that we sent him a message. So, you know, so Twitter is like a really easy thing to do, you know, and then like you're you know like other people could back you up on it. So But I do see some similarities between farmers around, the United States Europe you know to the extent that I can understand French you know I try to you know follow French farmers and and you see a lot of the same threads so I try to like pick up stuff that farmers around the world are doing you know and maybe retweet it so you know it's you know pretty pretty similar themes you know we all care about our land we're all trying to you know do the best that we can with what we have you know sometimes some of us struggle with prices or you know or even like, you know, in France, you know, the, I don't know if you follow the amount of they've had farmer suicides. We've had the same thing here in rural New York. We've had three dairy farmer suicides over the past few years. So, you know, so uh, these are some common themes that are going around and, and urban people may not grasp some of that. So I, you know, I use Twitter and social media for, you know, kind of sharing around the world too, and i comparing how farmers have different styles. like. For example, I noticed the farmers in the U.K. are very—I guess I call it—more frisky. They—they they engage in these like far-ranging conversations where they, they insult each other. They're you know they, they they talk you know they banter you know whereas I think Americans tend to be a lot more polite. Whoa whoa whoa, um, whoa. Lorraine,
0: back, back back up back up. Americans are polite. Uh, that's what I see up to it. Now, are you associated no. with the wrong Americans? No no no, no. this. Pol- polite is our thing. I'm sorry, you can't, you can't have that. Canadians are polite. I
1: think Canadians are polite. Why? Do you think they're not polite?
0: Oh, no. I, I've come across Americans that I really, really like, and then I've met some that, you know... We,
1: we met a lot of other Canadians oh, growing up, because our farm was in you know, central New York, so they, you could drive to Ontario. So, um, growing up, my late father used to always go to Canada to buy bulls for our farm. You know, I thought the Canadians had really good cows. Thank you. So uh, we had a lot of Canadian influence on our herd. And uh, then my sister got her master's degree at the University of Guelph in animal nutrition um, before she went to med school. So, you know, we used to drive up to Guelph to visit her and go to the Royal Winter Fair and all that stuff. So, yeah, so we have a lot of, uh, big affinity towards uh, Canadians. But, so you are Are
0: you familiar with our supply management, how, how we work there? Yeah,
1: the supply management, yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with it. I don't know the total operating rules, but, you know, I, when I see the, the price, being so much better, you know, and you know, in a, a system that it seems to protect the farmers more than we have here. So, here, like you could drive over the border and, and, and it immediately starts to look like you know the countryside is all worn down and the, the barns need repairs and you know people are driving old tractors. You know, our system is like every man for himself and uh, every woman for herself, and um, may the best man win. You know, last farmer standing, you got to compete you know, produce it, you know, at less and less price. So, so our system is a lot different than the Canadian system. So, yeah, so I, you know, tweeted with a few of the Canadian farmers and talked a little bit about supply management.
0: And yet, when you read the urban newspapers, the stories about supply management talk about how there's a, a black market cheese economy and how My dairy farmers are like like cartels. Like Toronto
1: riders um, writing about how, you know, Canadian farmers are, you know, are benefiting and the consumer is suffering and you know and all that so i have tweeted to a couple of them saying that oh really why don't you drive over the border and go t- take a look at the, the poverty and the, the the conditions on some of the, the farms just over the border where rural new york is seen in many respects as going downhill and then we go to, you know to canada and see who are making a decent living, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, so they never answer me. I haven't had any Canadians answer me.
0: Lorraine, um, here's, uh, what, here's so what we're anyway. going to do. Lorraine, you're going to come over sometime, and we're going to take you to Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto, and we're going to just step back, wind you up, and let you talk to some people.
1: <laughs> well, one reason I went to law school was because I did feel that, that um, you know, I thought that farmers really needed some, some advocacy. There are really not a lot of people advocating for farmers. So in your so practice, I,
0: you in know, your law practice, are you actually working with farmers predominantly?
1: Yeah, I, I represent a lot of farmers. You know, landowners. Uh, I do a lot of real estate um, wills. I do like everything except criminal law. I don't really like going to like criminal law court at night and all that stuff. So. Um, mostly do farmers who have a problem or um, lately I've been helping out with food like where farmers are trying to start something with value-added food like maybe to make a cheese or uh, sell meat Um, I've I've had a couple meetings locally with with, uh, farmers who are trying to get into it and make sure their risk is covered things like that so you know anything we can do we've got this market um 8.5 Eight and a half million people directly to the south of us. That I think we should have more food from our area going in there.
0: Right. It's hard. It's hard to supply them with bananas, but you should be able to. Yeah, sell
1: we have rich meat, extensive grazing land up here. Um, you know, people who know how to take care of livestock very well. Whether they're making you know grass grass-fed or grain you know grain-finished meat, grass-fed finished meat, you know stuff like that. We see sheep making a comeback. There's um, lamb being sold now. So, you know, so we have some things like that going on, you know, but we don't really have much name, you know, like a name that, you know, people associate upstate New York, you know, like, um, like I've been following, like in Quebec, I don't have you followed like the Charlevoix, you know, that region Mm -hmm. and how they've been trying to develop a food identity, you know, that I was just reading their stuff last night, you know, I thought, geez, our, you
0: know, our area could do something like that. So you would be a proponent of the niche market kind of stuff or what I would call niche market. Yeah,
1: for us. Yeah, it's something that we could compete in. I mean, we can't compete against, say, super cheap meat uh, coming from out of the area. Like, like for example, um, we had uh, the Port of Philadelphia just opened up to meat from Brazil a few weeks ago. They're aiming for 5.5 million pounds of fresh meat, the, the beef trimmings, coming in from Brazil. And I was reading that even if they go over their quota and have to start paying a tariff, that it's still going to be cheaper than American me coming out of the Northeast, much cheaper.
0: So how, how long does something like that last with Donald Trump as the next president?
1: That I don't know. I mean, nobody really knows at this point what's going to happen next. I mean, we don't know who the secretary of agriculture will be. We don't know what uh, federal farm bill programs would be like. Um, we do have, and I have followed somewhat, a committee of, I think it's 65 people, from around the country who've been appointed to be uh, AG advisors. So they seem to be um, have a different range in sizes like uh, for one person is Mike McCluskey, who is the, I think one of the largest dairy farmers in the country. But then we also have um, a man from Maine who has been a longtime proponent of small farmers. So, so we'll be waiting to see what happens next.
0: It looks like hands- on agriculture people it's a question of whether how much she's going to listen to them.
1: Yeah, so, you know, so we don't know. You know, I would say, the, you know, the the, the analysts are saying oh, a good deal of the rural vote helped sustain the day, but, um, you know, helped him to win. But I can say we didn't see a lot of uh, Hillary Clinton outreach in rural areas. So you know, the last time anybody from the Clinton family has been in my part of the country was in 2010. So it's already been like six years since anybody showed up here. So, you know, if you want to carry some rural vote, you have to actually get out there into these rural areas
0: i bet, I bet you you're going to see him the next time around, that's for sure.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I know that there are, you know, the Democrats are already assembling, like, you know, trying to get some interest in rural areas. And there's one, a rural, um, a Democrat uh, analyst, um, strategic person who's on Twitter, and he's very informative. I follow him all the time. His name, he goes by Mr. Rural. So he's Matt Barron, who lives in Western New York, and he or Western Massachusetts. So he really follows, like, you know, the Democrats and, um, you know, Talks about what they could have done better, you know, or at least to show up in some of the rural areas, or you know, have a have a more Hillary Clinton had a um, a rural platform crafted, and um, it was very similar to rural platforms that she's had for um, a couple of years now, and you know, if people would ask, well, what's your rural platform? They would say, oh, go on the internet and read the rural platform. Okay, so the problem was so many people don't have good internet to even go on the internet to read the rural platform. So. <laughs> So, um, you know, the, so people really, you know, object to that or, or like, you know, we've had some times where um, Democrats are running somebody out in the rural areas and, and so they send somebody from, say, like New York City headquarters up and it'd be like some
0: 22-year-old kid who just graduated from an Ivy League school well, it's, and, you know, yeah. they come up and try
1: to tell us what to think, you know. Well, so, sure.
0: The attitude is, well, it's just farmers. I mean, how hard can it be?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, that's the sound of it. So. Uh, you know, but it's just, you know, they, they have to be better outreach, and if you want to craft some policies, you really have to involve the people, and so hopefully that will change, but, you know... Um,
0: and at some point, politicians anything, will will realize that you can't just come out and make promises every four years, you actually have to be involved in the in the interim as well. Yeah,
1: you have to build relationships, you know, which I had seen with some of the food movement leaders, for example, they're like they might call you if they want some information, but they're not really building relationships with you. So you know, i think that's starting to change a little bit here now because people are starting to ask some questions. So you know, so that's good. But have any has anybody moved to Canada yet though? Because you know, we always before the election we heard that all these celebrities are going to be moving to Canada.
0: Yeah, we we Is shut any- the immigrate we shut immigration down. Just we're oh. gonna take a, we're gonna take a little pause here.
1: Yeah. So you know, but we we did hear all these announcements that everybody was moving, but nobody's moved yet. So yeah. you know, we'll have to see on that one.
0: Okay. So I'm trying to think where to go with this. I really have enjoyed hearing about you telling people in New York City off, and I do think there might be something that, that we could do in Toronto, because there's a lot of well, people how, there. How do you that do just... that? Do you
1: do that in Toronto? I mean, does anybody from Ontario go into Toronto, or do you just sit around on the farm and complain about it?
0: Well, you know what? I feel like we are, as Canadians, just working really, really hard at being nice all the time, and I yeah. feel like we need to take a page out of your book and maybe get a little nasty.
1: Yeah, just go into the city and, start, you know, just like if there are, say, urban food groups that you might have, just go in and start talking to them and, you know, and be honest. I, I don't really advocate for this, you know, super polite thing all the time. You know, just go and, I, I advocate more for be yourself. And I think, you know, and of course being a lawyer, you know, I am myself, and, you know, lawyers have no friends, so we don't really care what people think, um, except what other lawyers think.
0: Well, wait, but, but Lorraine, farm, if farmers are the most trusted people and lawyers are the least... You're balancing yeah. everything out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no, but I think, you know, I think people do recognize if you are yourself. And, you know, like I like to follow some of the people on Twitter that are themselves, you know, where they make snarky comments and, you know, they, they you know, show pictures of farming as, you know, as it is, you know, like somebody had a picture on there the other day of delivering a calf. You know, I, I, think, that's, I think that the public does appreciate that, that if you just keep saying these industry talking points that that comes
0: off as kind of phony i tend to share your views on that lorraine you know
1: yeah
0: no that's good this has been this has been a lot of fun i'm gonna take uh, your advice and i'm just gonna go start telling people what i really think all the time and christine can't stop me <laughs> <laughs> all right this has been the Ontario ag cast thank you lorraine for joining us and if this is the last podcast that we ever do it's been fun if not <laughs> we'll see you next time